0: Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Today we are joined by Michael, our resident ephesiologist. Uh, My name is Andrew Johnson. I am an associate, the associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas today we are joined by Charles Campbell, who is, as of today, the co-director, regional equipper, team leader. And well, Charles, as far as I'm concerned, that's a very long title that doesn't, it's very descriptive, but maybe not clear. So Charles, uh, tell us a bit, not just about what you do, but more about who you are.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll I'll address the title first. So uh, I work for sin Network, which is the church planting arm of the North America Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And um, so the regional equippers, we are a team of people that work alongside each of our seven regions uh, that NAM has divided the United States and Canada up into. And we basically just come alongside our missionary leaders that are in the field to help a coach equip. Uh, train them to all the tools that we use to help church planters plant healthy, multiplying churches. So I co-lead that team, but then I'm also a player coach and work in the South region. So I work with the states that are in the Central Time Zone in the South. So, um, so maybe that's a little more clear, even though it's a long explanation. So, but, okay. Uh,
0: That's good. So I have questions about those things, but I'll put that on pause. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Who who are you when you take your hat off? What what do you do?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, I live in Springfield, Illinois, and I've been married to Candy for 35 years. We have three girls, um, our oldest and her husband uh, live in uh, Indianapolis, and uh, they have our two grandbabies. And then our middle daughter lives in... um, uh, Jackson, Mississippi. She's a NICU nurse and our youngest daughter lives in Springfield, Missouri. And she and her husband, uh, she teaches school and her husband's a nurse as well. And then my wife and I, we have an heirloom apple orchard that we started about five years ago, um, just outside of Springfield. So that's a little little side hustle we have in addition to the work I do with church planters.
2: That's so I gives great. you a little
1: bit, a little bit of my background. Yeah, it's kind of fun. So yeah. Well, you guys yeah.
2: are spread out all over the country.
1: Uh, yes the girls are the girls are so so absolutely so so yeah
0: okay so i mean well it is being recorded which means you can't get away from the answer that you give but uh which is your favorite location to visit your daughters right like Like they're all spread out. Which one are you not? Which daughter do you love more? I'm not saying that. I'm saying which location do you enjoy visiting when you go?
1: Well, I mean, that's an easy get right now because my granddaughters are located in Indianapolis. Naptown baby. Hmm. (laughs) So, so Indianapolis is where we love to go uh, because the grandbabies are there. So, uh, so yeah, but uh, I can't say Jackson is my favorite um, because uh, it's just muggy, you know. Jackson, Mississippi is just a muggy city. So, so, I'd have to say, I'd have to say, Indy is probably our favorite location to go to, um, mainly because the grandbabies are there.
0: Look, he didn't even know because I just showed Charles my Reggie Miller themed shirt oh, that I'm wearing. there you go. There so we go. The Indianapolis yeah. pride is always just right That's under the true. surface.
2: How do you, right. how, do you know how you survive in Houston being an Indianapolis fan? How do you Very totally easily. forgot
1: about that? Yeah. Very easily. Andrew, it did just it just flashed back that that's right, you're the Indiana guy. So it, it, is. it is.
0: It yeah, is. I love that. Well, I love that I love that you are just so committed, uh, not just to God's kingdom, but to your family. I mean, that's just the that's the healthiest way to be. Uh Absolutely. so as you were talking about Things, Charles. Uh, Just for context for our listeners, um, I actually attended uh, a session that Charles was down in Houston leading, trying to help us as churches develop, um, develop leaders, right? Develop the people that we are going to train and then send out into ministry in our local context, right? Not just send them as church planters, but uh, uh, people who work normal jobs and help equip and, and encourage them as disciples. So this is how I got to know. Uh, Charles. Um, but for for our listeners, Charles, who are not so inundated with all things SBC, uh, sure. Southern Baptist Convention, uh, you mentioned the, the term NAM. You mentioned the mm-hmm. term SEND Network. And so for the yeah. unaffiliated, can you explain what those are? And then I guess maybe even explain a little bit how they're you're even more connected as of late
1: sure absolutely um so uh north american mission board is the home mission arm if you will of the southern baptist convention uh used to actually be called the home mission board and then it transitioned to be called the north american mission board um in i think it was late 90s early 2000s um and so has the responsibility for mission work in the united states and canada and um, in 2010, Kevin Azell became the president. And in that moment, Kevin really began to more tightly define the scope of NAM's work um, with the trustees and brought that to the convention floor to say, hey, we want to focus in on just a few things. So, church planting being one of those. Um, and so, um, in the midst of that, began to recognize that. With this more because we always had a church planting focus, but kind of began to scrape away some other things that were, um, I think, secondary issues that just didn't need to be on Nam's plate. And so as the church planting focus began to be more clear, more well-defined. Um, there was this idea of what would it look like inside the convention to really gather the churches because we have 47,000 churches, um, but really put a focus on the churches that have a heart for and wanna be directly involved in church planting. Because um, we could say that every church in the convention is involved in church planting if they give to our mission offering, You know, they do that through their money. Um, but churches that want to be more intentionally involved by raising up leaders, supporting church plants directly, um, um, partnering with church plants directly. So that's where the SIN network got formed, and that happened back in 2015. And, and um, so, right now, out of the 47,000 churches, there's about 4,400 churches that are actively involved, um, either through intentional giving directly to church plants, or partnering with church plants, praying for church planters, or raising up church planting leadership um, to go start things, start, start start something new so um, that's really the, that's really kind of the essence of the Syn network it is that family of churches that are planting churches uh, well the mission statement is a family of churches planting churches everywhere for everyone um, so um, but it's really that that family of churches inside the convention that are very focused on church planting
2: mm-hmm. and you said that there were how many that are focusing
1: on yeah church? so yeah, so there are there are out of the forty seven thousand, there's about forty four hundred that are involved either in that very intentional uh, funding directly of a church planter, participating with a church planter, providing for a church plant or sending out um, other people from their church to be church planter or church planting team members um, in other parts of the country. And yeah. so, um Because the number one issue that we've got right now, it's not a financial issue. It's not a resource issue. It's having ready leaders. Mm. And that's actually what brought me to Houston and how Andrew and I got to connect. um, Because we just don't have enough ready leaders. And not just ready leaders, but also ready team members to go with those ready leaders to start new work around the country.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, that seems to be the perennial problem, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and what are the ways that you all are finding are helpful in addressing that?
1: Yeah. So our, our piece right now is what does it look like to help churches create intentional pathways to discover the people in your, in their church, that God may be stirring in their heart, something, you know, beyond the doors of the local church. I mean, we want to help the local church as well, be healthy, But we are really focused in on what does it look like for you to have a very intentional discovery process, you know, to to begin to identify what's happening in the heart of your people, um, and then have some intentional developmental plans for them. Um, And then what are the places that you that God has put on your heart to intentionally send your people to? Um, And so that whole idea of discover, develop, deploy is kind of language we use, but But I think the key word in all that is intentionality. Um, And so just last week, our new president, uh, Vance Pittman, cast a vision for what would it look like um, over the course of the next 10 years if we could mobilize 11,000 churches to plant 11,000 new churches and all of those churches reach um, 125 new people. Um, And so that's 2.5. 2,5 million, five million, I think that's what that is, which is 1% of the population of North America. So what would it look like to see over the course of the next 10 years, um, us reaching 1% of the population of our country, uh, which would be, it doesn't sound like much, but would, I mean, Michael, you know, from being in the mission field, that's significant. Mm. Uh, you know, if you can get at 1% of a country's population, uh, you begin to see, um, the potential for movement to take place. Obviously we don't create movement. Um, but we can be involved in the principles of multiplication. Um, and so I think that's, um, what Vance wants us to chase after as an organization, uh, and that's really got me excited as one of our leaders in that. You know, getting to be a part of that.
0: Okay, so then allow me to ask always the awkward question, which ask is, "Ask away." What is Sin Network then doing within this again brand new plan? You know, brand new vision. Yeah. Uh, But what is what is the idea to make sure that the forty four hundred goes to eleven thousand and that as they're planting new churches, they are going to tell those new churches only chase after (laughs) non-Christians because uh, there is a a a real problem of a lot of excitement being around church planting. And then mm-hmm. those new expressions of churches go into areas and end up just stealing sheep from other areas. And uh, the gospel is not really going to the not yet reached. Instead, it's going to the already reached or more yeah. just disenfranchised with whatever yeah. local expression of church. So how how are we helping move things forward? In terms of evangelism and grabbing hold of people who don't yet know about Jesus or love Him,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the things that, that Vance talked to us about last week, and and we've we've been talking about it even in our training um, up until now. There's there's uh, an unintended consequence, oftentimes, of the way we've trained and equipped our planters, is to chase after your launch. You know, go hard after getting your Sunday morning service launched. And um, what's the easiest way to do that, Andrew? Well, it's to find a bunch of other believers or find people that are disenfranchised people, that, but people that already have an understanding of what church is and want to be a part of that.
0: Convince and the so, already convinced, or convince the not yeah. too far from convinced.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, if I'm if I'm serving hamburgers, I'm not going to chase after a bunch of people that you know only eat fish and chicken. You know, I'm going to continue to pursue those people that eat hamburgers to get them to come into my thing um and so it's a longer harder road uh and michael you know this from being on the mission field um internationally that uh, it's a longer harder road and takes more time to lay the groundwork think like a missionary and really engage your context for a season before you may even see one new believer come to jesus and so we are working as a team to think through how do we do a better job of helping guys not worry as much about their Sunday morning launch as we want them to think about what's it look like to, advance Vance will use this language, engage your city for a season um, just dig in, think like a missionary. Where are the places? Where are the people? Where are the pockets of lostness in your city and how do you interact with those pockets of lostness to bring the good news of the gospel, then as you see disciples made, then out of that um, rhythm of engaging the city, making disciples, then the church is birthed, uh, and so and for some guys that may be a shorter runway because they, um, for whatever reason, God God moves in different ways where that happens more quickly, but in other situations it may be a long runway, and we need to be patient with that. Um,
2: well, I have to time tell you- will tell. I have to tell you, as a professor who teaches church planting in many mm. places around the world, that warms my heart okay. because we've one of the things that I've noticed in uh, in interacting with folks around the world who desire to church plant is that the model that we've seen in the U.S. has been so focused on the launch of Sunday sure. that in their minds, that's what church planting is—it's getting yeah. something started on Sunday. Yeah. And, it, and it takes some time for us to begin to think about, gosh, really, church planting is Monday, more focused on Monday through Saturday than it is yeah. on Sunday, Sunday because it's yeah. engaging with lostness.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, it, it, and, and we're always going to have both. I mean, we're never going to get away from uh, that unintentional and sometimes very intentional um, run to the Sunday morning gathering. Um, I mean, it's just it's in some respects it's hardwired into our our culture here in the states, especially. But I think if we can help guys and help them either through their, because I th- I think part of Andrew, I think part of the conversation of Michael that we need to have is helping guys plan better financially. Um, either, either they're planting from a bivocational perspective or they're planting with just a much longer runway in mind so that they don't face the tension of I've got to have a Sunday morning crowd because the Sunday morning crowd is actually what pays the bills for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there is that very real felt need for a planter of, I'm on a three-year funding window or I'm on maybe a five-year funding window. But at the end of five years, if I am if I don't have a group of people that are sustaining me um, and helping me pay my bills financially, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so I think that's a very real part of this conversation that we don't talk about very often because nobody wants to talk about funding models and how planters survive. Um, but I think that's part of the very real tension of why guys run very quickly to um it's not the only reason but i think it, it, it's one of the unspoken reasons why guys run very quickly to i've got to get a crowd um because i got bills to pay um mm. i mean let's, let's let's just i mean i'm i'm talking very pragmatically here and so i know that may not well, sound right. spiritual but but that's part of the tension so um, well
0: that's more than part of the tension honestly i i think that's a that's yeah. a much bigger part of this than we all want to come to grips with because yeah. launch large models or um sunday service centric models and again obviously the same but also different um yeah they help line the coffers a little bit more reliably and
1: i know absolutely absolutely
0: yeah and then to yeah. have somebody with that focus on lostness uh That Because here's the uh, really unfortunate part, too. You're talking about the ugly side. I'm just going to put it all out there, right? The person who is going to then go out and declare Christ as risen and true and the one who will change your life, then it's like first three steps of discipleship feels like uh, give your life to Jesus, uh, change your mannerisms to behave like him, but also start giving. Because if you don't, I can't be. and. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. it reverses or, or really swaps levels of importance on what we see in scripture and then what we do to cover our backsides. Um,
1: yeah. well, and again, I think that's why it's super important for, um, I mean, cause you see, uh, I mean, <clears throat> Paul did his tent making, but also there was a, there was a healthy conversations that happened between the churches that sent them out church of Jerusalem, sending the offering, um, you know and so um there has to be that healthy if we're going to send these missionaries out we do have to not leave them high and dry um you know and so um i think that's why you know it's it's like for our international missionaries that we send from southern baptist convention it's it's they don't have as much of that tension cuz they're full-time employees they have a full-time salary that lets them um, slow roll if you will um the work that they're going to do and not have to race towards um a sunday morning gathering if that's what the culture you know they're they're able to plant more culturally appropriate maybe um, because they can take a longer they can have a longer time frame because like i said they're they're a full-time employee of our mission agency whereas our church planters are more like the indigenous planters that they're raising up on the mission field. And so those guys have got to figure out whether it's a side hustle or, um, being bivocational or this new word that we use co-vocational or having done a really, really good job in developing partners to give them the margin to do the work that they need to do to engage their city and make disciples first. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: yeah, Charles, you mentioned just a moment ago that finances weren't a problem, and I agree with that. I mean, I think yeah. finances are the least of our problems. There's enough. Yeah. There's enough wealth in the evangelical church in the United States to do yep. church planting and to do it well. But how do we motivate uh, that type of giving? And and is a part of that motivation coming to grips with the reality that we're confronting in North America.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, I think I mean, that's one of the reasons where we're having these conversations with our like. So you've got forty four hundred churches that are actively involved, which means you've got forty three thousand churches that are not actively involved um, beyond that. They are faithful. Uh, I don't know what all the, the exact percentages are, but the vast majority of those are, are faithfully giving to our we call it the cooperative program. It's our joint missions offering that all the churches give into that gets divided between international home missions, our seminaries, and a couple other things that we do. So so we do have churches that are giving to that. Um giving specifically think,
2: to church planting?
1: Well they're giving to that cooperative mission offering. And so some of it so there's a portion of that that goes to the north american mission board which then is used portions of that are used for church planting um so and and a big portion along with an an annual offering we do that's named after one of our missionaries um called annie armstrong so um and all that money is directly engaged in church planting so so those resources are there but um going back to your your question michael i think one of the things that we're trying to do is is develop more intentional direct connections between the local church and the missionaries on the field. Um, so, one of the advantages that we have is that we're a large organization. We have lots of missionaries, we have lots of church planters. One of the disadvantages of that is that because we are a large organization, it's easy for there not to be any personal connections between any of those missionaries um, and the local church. So, One of the initiatives that we launched this past year was a website called Pray for Planters. And so here in in United North America and Canada, you can go to that website. You can see um, where all the different planters are around the country that have been endorsed and have kind of set up their profile. And if you want, you can adopt one of those guys and begin to pray for them and they will interact with you so you can develop a personal relationship between your church and them. Um, I think that's one of the ways um, that we can get churches started down that pathway is to just simply say, hey. God, where where do you want us? Where do you want us to put our time and energy? And is there somebody in that location? And how can we develop a personal relationship with him and begin to um, pray for them? And then how can we begin to quite honestly go serve and help them, um, whether it's short term mission trips, whether it's um, something very unique and specific, like uh, we have some churches that when they've adopted a planter, like they literally will you know, send uh, a couple like my wife and I, are, who are empty nesters, will come in for the weekend, and we'll watch the planters' kids for them, so they can go have a date night because they're brand new to a location, they don't know anybody, they don't have anybody they can trust or lean into to just do something simple like watch their kids, so they can go get away. And so, um, it's something as simple as that to having an ongoing, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to help you engage your city on a very regular basis as a church. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, uh, sorry, Andrew, you're using a lot of language that we're used to hearing, uh, in a international mission context Mm. term teams, missionaries who are church planters in North America. Is that indicating that you see the North American context as increasingly a a mission field? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is it that you're seeing in North America that's giving you that (sighs) indication?
1: Well, I'll just, I'll just take my own context. Okay. So, um, my youngest daughter graduated from, um, her high school in 2018 and, um, there were professing, uh, teachers, um, believing teachers in that public education sphere. And, um, I think it was very friendly to, um, families and kids that were from a faith background. Um, Fast forward to today, and I don't think as a family, if we were starting in that same community, which is a very small um, suburban community of a capital city town, um, I don't know that we would put our girls back in that educational system because it's now become hostile to uh, the Christian faith um, and the labels. That we would be labeled as a family, and as the girl, our girls would get labeled, would be by some folks extremist because of our views on uh, sexuality, um, our views on uh, marriage, uh, and so. Just in that short four to five year span, um, the North American context has shifted pretty significantly um, in being friendly to, and now I think it's more openly hostile towards. I I think our playing field is much more similar. Uh, I mean, we still very much have a, um, Christian, um, people have a Christian, you know, not worldviews, not the word I'm looking for, but, um, history. So they would be, yeah, they they would be, they would be familiar with, with church and being invited to church and those kinds of things. So it's not, that's not completely foreign to them. Like, um, you know, my friends who are um, pastoring a church in Italy where, you know, they've got friends who would call themselves Catholic, but they've never stepped inside, you know, a Catholic church in all their life. And, and an evangelical church for them almost feels cultish, you know, that would be the language they might use about evangelicalism. So um, I don't, we're not there yet in the United States, but we're running quickly towards it. So, So,
0: okay. So this is uh, maybe this is uh, an unhelpful direction or return to where we were Sure. um Charles everything that you were talking about of the desire for the long pathway to focus on discipleship mm. of of yeah. uh, raising honest to goodness not yet Christians to faithful followers who are seeking after others to follow Jesus in a, in a in an international context um this is not because i think it's a good idea but what's the hesitation then if we are looking towards the north american context being a mission field of treating our church planters here like full-time missionaries yeah what, what's so, the hesitation
1: absolutely 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 yeah 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 um so we would have a category of of guys that work for the north american mission board that function very similarly to our international missionaries we call them church planning catalysts um and so they are full-time employees of the north american mission board of sin network some of them are church-based so they're um vocational if you will part of their funding comes from their local church and part of their funding comes from um the uh, sin network and so those people are um responsible for catalyzing indigenous church planters um and so i think that would be the equivalent so we are we are using that strategy um to do some of that and then i think we are looking for ways to um extend the runway for the indigenous guys um and so um I'm, so let me say this andrew i think I, at the beginning i said we have the resources we do have the resources for what we're currently doing um if we have if we truly had um like Thousands of church planters, you know, being raised up each each and every year, then the resource challenge would be a different challenge.
0: So, (laughs) I would say we would we would say, "Hooray! The Lord has given us a new (laughs) challenge." A
1: new challenge, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Um, And again, I'm not even
0: suggesting that that's like the best thing, right? Like, absolutely, being fully funded especially when we are fully funding our, when I say our own, I mean our North American people that we are sending into other fields and other contexts, yeah. Um, that foreign money that sometimes is a poison pill. And, yeah, and so yeah. I'm not, you know, in context no, I, where I, it goes, people are involved because they think I can get that money and the yeah. same thing can happen in the States. So I'm not, again, I'm not suggesting it's a good thing, but I'm just trying to say that money question that you brought up earlier seems like a very, very, very real question. And if our goal is discipleship and in raising up people to follow Christ with healthy churches, right, who are going to raise up healthy disciples, Mm -hmm. who raise up healthy disciples, um, if that's the goal and we are seeing money as a problem to get to that goal then how can we use money to accomplish that goal without screwing yeah. up the goal? <laughs> so that makes sense. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, I, I hear you. And, and and that's not just, I mean, obviously that's, we hit on that because it's one of the tensions. That's not the only tension um, that we face in the North American context. So um, I think the other, like we just, we have been talking about the other tension is that there is this expectation of, Hey, our churches want to see our partner churches, Hey, how many people, how many people showed up this week? You know, that's the, that's the lead question that gets asked. Uh, and so how do we change that conversation from how many people showed up this week to how many people did you have conversations with about Jesus this week? How many people are you walking alongside as a disciple and, in, in helping become disciple makers? Um, and so that's not a primary conversation yet. Um, that conversation is changing, And, but I think that the leading question oftentimes still happens in church circles and with partners, Hey, you know, what are you running? Um, that kind of thing. And so, um, that tension again, it's, it's there, you know? So, um,
2: Yeah. And we've been talking a lot about the need for us to change the, the metric by which we're measuring mm -hmm. these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's not important is, is, uh, how many services are you having or, or, you know, those types of things that seem to be much more Sunday centric, but rather, you know, how many, I love that. how many spiritual conversations are you having this week?
1: Yeah. What's Uh, happening through the week. Um, yeah, both, both with people that don't know Jesus and the people that have come to know Jesus and that you're, and that you're discipling him. mm -hmm. And, um, like what was really cool for, for, um, meeting here last week when vance was casting vision with our team was just he told some of the early stories of uh, when hope got started when they moved out there in 2000 and just the amount of time that he and his small team that moved out there with him because there were a couple families that went with them how much time they spent um and involving their partner churches in just praying over that city um quite literally every single he was funny because he said yeah, because he was talking to there were a lot of millennials in the room last week and gen, I guess millennials. Um and he's like, We use this thing called the phone book. Um <laughs> so but uh um just talked about the fact that in the early stages of, of Hope Church prayed over every single person by name in the Las Vegas phone book. Um, and then in their target community. Walked to that community multiple times, praying over um, the the people and engaging the people in that neighborhood. Um, and then quite honestly, moving their launch date back, I think, I think he said they reset their launch date two or three times because they just hadn't seen the people come to know Christ that, that um, they wanted to continue to build that group of initial people that had come to Christ and were um, being discipled before they did a Sunday gathering. Um, But even as he told that story, you could, you could hear the tension of, yeah, but we got to, you know, so, um, but just hearing him re in us uh, and our missionary force at Send Network of, guys, we got to get back to this place of prayerful dependence um, and then, out of that prayerful dependence, ha- be being bold in our conversations with people that need to know Jesus. And then, out of that, see disciples and having intentional pathways to make disciples. Um, so that's that's got me encouraged. so yeah, i'm great. I'm looking forward. yeah, so
0: there was something that you said earlier that i was I was both attracted to and excited by at the same time. How you mentioned the these uh, seeking after your city for a season, right? being being mm-hmm. chasing after yeah. that. Uh, yeah. the snarky part of me wants to say, why just a season? Uh, mm. yeah. but yeah. secondly, how are you actually helping these new churches or church plants or the people that you're pouring into, right? So I'm not making you mm-hmm. the the SBC figurehead to speak for forty seven thousand churches. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. how are you That's instilling in the planters you work with? that seeking after the good of your city is actually kingdom work. Don't ever lose focus of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the church that I attend, I haven't really talked about that. This The church that I currently go to, I'm one of the elders that I helped co-plant that church 15 years ago. And, um, uh, the young man that we have in our resident, our church planning residency right now, um, we're just, we're taking a very slow role with them and just saying, Hey, one of the best things you can do is just continue to figure out what does it look like to engage your city with the gospel um, and giving him very specific activities to do um, and ways to get into his community. in his particular situation he's got an insider track because his wife is the librarian for the community um and so there's some very intentional things that she's doing um and through her work as a librarian um just to get missional librarians that's a that's a new it's a new title we're going to be
0: launching soon missional librarians
1: hey um you'd be surprised because that um that person has the power to um, create a culture in their community that could that could either be favorable to the gospel or not favorable to the gospel, and so, um, but so yeah, so things like that um, in the actual training that we do. So my um, kind of the hat that I wear for the organization is I help train our trainers who lead cohorts for our church planters, and um, I didn't create the the material; it was actually created by a guy by the name of Mac Lake um who hired me that's kind of was my initial kind of inroad into working for the national agency and so mac um created this material and as well as our assessment um in that module in that training we've got one of our competencies is missional engagement and so we are putting in front of our guys if you don't know how to think like a missionary and go after your city like a missionary we want to give you some tools and some handles to exegete your community appropriately so um Michael, probably some language that you're familiar with talking about domains, you know, what are the different domains that you can be um, listening in? Um, And then how are, where are you seeing commonalities? And um, what are the things that you're hearing that you could bring to the table to have a presence in that particular domain, whether it's education, whether it's the medical community, um, whether it's um, the business community, you know, those different domains, how can you, what are the ways that you can get in and, and, um, engage those different, different places. Um, so, cause quite honestly during COVID for a lot of our planters, they were doing some of that, like through our public school systems, you know, they were engaging the schools cause they were partnering with the schools cause they were using the schools for some of their public gathering space. And then when they lost that, they had to figure out how do we re-engage those schools, even though we can no longer be there. Um, you know, and so, um, so that's been a challenge for our guys, but that's been an emphasis for us, Andrew, uh, in the training is to help them think through the different ways that they're, they can do that. And, um, some, some do it better than others. Some, it's a bigger challenge for others. Um, cause quite honestly, if you think about like even that whole apest giftings, um, you know, some of our guys that are planting, they're way more shepherd teacher. So, um, They need to have a partner or a teammate that's more of that apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic kind of guy uh, to help that shepherd teacher get out into the community, Um, you know, because he's good once he's got a crowd. But until he gets a crowd, that shepherd teacher sometimes really struggles um, to gather people. And so that's another reason why we're even encouraging guys to think through. um, You're not going to have all of these. So who else can come alongside you and be a partner with you as you go to engage your community?
2: I love that. A-pest is not something that we talk about very often around here, is it, Andrew? Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that that was
2: a joke. Um, it was a I bit know, of a joke. I, know, I, I, I immediately, I I've,
0: I've, yeah. when you said A-pest, I, I got a smile, and I was like, oh, he just, he spoke Michael's language. Michael's he,
2: re-engaged. He's yeah. in. He's in. Well, it's yeah. such a fascinating issue because, yeah, I, I agree, Charles, with you. Um, Todd Lafferty wrote a great dissertation on this in in. Mm in regards to what's going on internationally with APEST and the uh, okay. IMB. And uh and it's almost the exact opposite is happening here, where overseas we're really focused on developing the apostle prophet evangelists, those who can go out and get to, and start things and yeah. very little attention on the shepherd and teachers. Where here, because of the systems we have, you know, the seminaries we have, they're focusing on the shepherd and the teacher and not so much on the the apostle, prophet, and evangelist. So somehow we've got to create systems. And this is, of course, one of the things that we're passionate about, creating a yeah. system where you have all of these functioning and firing together, uh, which yeah. is so needed for, for church planting, uh, yeah. particularly in the North American context, but certainly around the world.
1: I know you guys have, you guys have interviewed my friend Peyton Jones. So Peyton, Peyton and I actually used to serve on, um, our training team together. And, um, that was a conversation we had on a regular basis. And, um, just how do we create opportunities for those guys that are more apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, um, or he would call them apes. Um, you know, how how do we, because oftentimes those guys, the local church didn't know what to do with them. And so they would go off and start a parachurch organization. You know, a lot of our strong parachurch church ministries were especially, you know, 50s and 60s. I mean, you look like Campus Crusade and um, some of those kinds of organizations. They were started by guys who, quite honestly, were probably serial church planters, but the church didn't know how to deal with them. And so they went off and did their thing in a different context because there wasn't a space for them in the church world, if you will. Um, and so, um, so, yeah, so I think that's. That's the challenge for us is how do we make sure we create a space for those guys and then also help those guys see as an, um, especially the guys that are really strong, apostolic, um, and evangelistic, um, uh, and the prophetic guys to a, to a degree that once something gets started, you may need to be prepared to go start again, because if you stay too long in that realm and you don't have a good, sh- strong shepherd teacher with you, um, you're, you may end up blowing this whole thing up. Mm. Um, and so, We've seen in fact uh, got a friend who strong um, apostolic evangelistic and was planted his church and then every year they were planting more churches and more churches, but he was wearing his congregation out from this just steady stream of sending and planting. Until one day he had a guy come off the international mission field and partner with him that was more shepherd teacher. And they basically flipped responsibilities. And so the shepherd teacher guy became the lead guy at the main location. And the guy that was more the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic guy, he basically became their church planting director, Mm -hmm. um, but was no longer the lead shepherd teacher at the church. And the church is the the main location is thriving again because they have a strong shepherd teacher to care for them but then they also have this other guy that is just constantly you know walking up to guys like you michael and going hey michael i see something in you and i think god may be calling you to church plant (laughs) you know and then developing that guy and sending him out you know so so it's a beautiful picture of this combination of those two men you know teaming together but the roles had to be flipped Um, you know, so the, the apostolic evangelistic guy stepped into the more of kind of the number two role and the shepherd teacher guy, if you will, became kind of the lead teaching visionary for the sending church. Um, and I think that's a cool dynamic. You know? So,
0: so um, who's going to go and interview them? And when does that book come out? Because I think, yeah. I think everything that you just described it is an incredible, incredible description of what the prayerful hope of a healthy church looks like. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. sorry, alarm for, Well, two they minutes.
1: already. Uh, um, they've already, uh, uh, the one guy's already written a book and they have a podcast. So, um, it's, um, uh, click Clifton up in, um, pillar church outside of Norfolk. So he wrote the book church planning thresholds. Um, but he and his co-pastor Colby, um, that's, that's their story. Um, that's a very, so, cool. uh, and so, um, just, and, and they I think they've got some podcasts, uh, trying to think one of the episodes that they did, um, before I don't think they do their podcast anymore because they're Clint's, Clint helps with the sin network and the new churches.com, uh, site and so he's got a lot of his energy into that now but when he and colby were doing podcasts together they they tell that story and so that's out that, that story's out there so it's very um, cool you could look it up and drop it in the show notes or something but um there's some there's some good stuff there but clint's book thresholds is a book that helps planters plant healthy and that's what he developed you know out of that i guess his journey if you will so mm. But but it was a fascinating hear him talk about that story. It's fascinating to hear how he needed to really move from being the lead shepherd teacher there to being the not really a number two guy because he's the co it's a co-elder and they've got other elders as well. But um but COVID really is kind of the main voice now at the you know in that home Mm. in their main location. So Mm. um but it's a good story. One one yeah, example, cool. and I, and there, and I'm discovering others as well. Uh, but that's that's one that um, we talk a lot talk a lot about in our shop.
2: Yeah, that's cool. Well, hey Charles, as we're wrapping up here, um, one last question. Sure, let's take a step back for a mo- moment for us. Give us the kind of the fifty thousand foot view of church planting in North America. What what's the need here? What are we seeing on the ground? Um, are we making inroads? Are we are we falling behind? It, help us out. Is that a closing question or a, a, a <laughs> a closing? Question. That sounds like an episode <laughs> <As a> opener. <laughs> it's a closing <laughs> but, question intended to get Charles to come <laughs> back on the podcast <laughs> at some point. Yeah. This I, can, I, mean, this
1: I can. only talk about it from my chair. I mean, I, I'm I'm one guy in a very large organization that's, you know, I think doing some really cool stuff. Um, uh, there are other guys in our organization that probably have a better beat on that. If you haven't talked to Brad Briscoe yet, um, uh, Brad would be, uh, Brad's Brad's a great missiologist and friend and probably has a better feel for kind of the breadth of, of that question. Um, I guess what I'm hopeful about is that in our organization, we are talking more broadly about, um, other models i mean just even last week in our meeting that that Vance talked with our team you know he used the word microchurch and um you know five or six years ago i don't know that we were actively you know i, I mean it was it was happening on the fringes you know guys like Brad were talking about it but to hear the president of our of our network talk about microchurches being a possibility for us to even think about so I'm hopeful in that, Hey, we, we, do need to look at everything. Like everything needs to be on the table. If we're going to see the gospel, the good news of Jesus go forward into all the different pockets it needs to get to. And so we still need the hope churches, like what Vance is doing there in Vegas, but we also need to be thinking about quite honestly, the world that Brad lives in um, with some of those micro church co-vocational church. And, um, I think we are in a position, at least from the chair that I sit in, that we're going to get to have that conversation and and equip our guys to equip um, the indigenous planters in the field to think about those different ways of bringing the gospel to bear on people that haven't heard it yet. Well, that
0: seems exciting. I mean, to bring the conversation about that, you know, the things that people are having, it almost sounds funny, rather, like uh, people are talking about micro churches in the dark. Like are we allowed to talk about this in the in right, the context right, of Nam and right, and then have somebody right. say it and be like, oh my gosh, yeah. is is the SBC actually going to start pursuing micro churches? Like that's exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I th- yeah it's there, there's always this tension um, because there's been some abuse of things like that in the past, where um, quite honestly, <laughs> some of it comes down to just accountability and what, what is this guy actually doing over here? So is it really, is it really a church? Um, or is it a guy that met a couple of buddies at a coffee shop for coffee and he labeled it a micro church, you know, um, which we didn't use that term back then, but, so I think there's always that, you know, tension of, are you being honest with what you're doing here? Um, but I think there's a good, I think we can have a good, healthy conversation about, um, Guys that are intentionally trying to do things in different ways to reach people with the gospel and not just check a box because they had a coffee with a couple of people, you know, and they called it something that they shouldn't have called it.
2: So, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I I don't know if we, I don't think we've had Brad on uh, the podcast. I know we haven't. Brad's uh, given a lecture at one of my church planting courses on co-vocational, and okay, it's cool. exciting to hear that uh, you say that there's an increasing interest in the micro church. Because if if Brad's correct, you know we're talking 50 to 60 percent of pastors right now uh, in in North America that are in those kinds of contexts where um, it, they have to be co-vocational, and mm. uh, yes. and yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, just the average church size, I think the average SBC church, the, um, is like 70, 75 people. Um, and so, you know, if you're pastoring a church of 70 to 75 people, that's not going to be a full-time, you know, Mm. most likely, it's not going to be a full-time deal. Uh, you're going to be, your wife may be working or you may be retired or you doing a Covo or Bivo, um, you know, so, um, but I think there's, there, again, there's, there's a more healthy respect and understanding that, Hey, we're going to have to continue to figure out how to help those guys, assess those guys, equip and train those guys. Um, you know, so they, so that they are planting healthy and that, and that they can remain in, in the, in the game for a long time. Uh, so,
0: Man, so yeah, this is exciting. I, I feel that this conversation is, is certainly a healthy and hopeful Outlook. Mm. Um, I yeah. mean, certainly, again, we've looked looked in the mirror. Some things aren't all that rosy, and there's certainly challenges. But you know, Charles, thank you so much for coming on and yeah. helping us uh, kind of see what is ahead of us, both in church planting in terms of North America, the world, but you know, through the lens of the SBC and SIND. Uh, well, and
1: again, just remember, I'm I'm one small little voice in SIND. There are a lot of other voices that have a much higher um I me mean, a bigger perspective because they see a broader perspective, but from my chair uh, I'm hopeful. I'm, ex- I'm encouraged. I'm excited about uh, what we where we're headed. Just the fact that, I mean, even today we've got um, 600 church planting couples and their wives coming in. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to these next couple of days, just being able to encourage them and help them come back out of this, situ- you know, this two days of, of uh, just, rest and refreshment and and then also to hear vance cast vision to them that he's cast for us about what's it look like for us to really chase after lostness in north america and uh that that it really encourages me
0: that's great well charles thank you so much uh for taking your time while you are in miami to talk to us uh, about Absolutely. all of this. Thank you for suffering for Jesus and Miami, uh, with <laughs> all got, those <laughs> church got. planters. Um, yeah. Charles, if people want to get at you, uh, reach out <laughs> to you, how would they do that?
1: Um, yeah, uh, they can email me. So C Campbell and Campbell spelled just like the multi-billion dollar soup company. So, um, there's a, there's a PB right in the middle of that. C Campbell <laughs> at nam.net uh, uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, if you want to, if you want to learn all about apples, you can, um, check out cause that's basically all I Instagram about is either my, my grandbabies or, or apples. So, <laughs> but, uh, CW camp 87 is my Instagram and, or ins inside the orchard is our actual, our orchard website. So, but, uh, those are the, those are good ways to get a hold of me.
0: That sounds like a very healthy social media presence. So uh, you
1: can't, you can't go wrong if you're just posting pictures about apples, you know what I'm saying? So you can't get a lot of, you can't get into trouble that way. So so,
0: that's fantastic. Well, Charles, thank you so much for being with Michael and I, and uh, thank you listener for dedicating some of your time to joining us in this conversation. And we, and we invite you to join us in the larger conversation, Uh, go to ephesiology.com, physiology.com, check out some of the resources that we have available. You can also go to masterclasses.ephesiology.com to see what God might have for you in the next step. Or Is there training? Is there education? Can, can you put yourself in a position uh, to be encouraged by Christ, by brothers and sisters who are a few steps ahead of you, uh, inviting you uh, into God's work in this world? So um, thank you for joining with us. And so for Michael... For Charles and myself, thank you for being with us on the Ephesiology Podcast.